So we had front row seats. I don't know how we got them. We just did. It wasn't like we were deserving of them or anything like that. But we had front row seats, not just one, but we had three of them. Myself and then the sons of Boanerges or the sons of Thunder or the sons of Zebedee, or they go by lots of different names. You probably know them as James and John. And having front row seats to see Jesus do what he did was fantastic. Let me tell you, about a few weeks earlier, we were able to have front row seats as we watched him raise a little girl from the dead. We weren't the only ones there. There were also the parents of the little girl, but this this little 12-year-old girl, he told her, get up, and she did. And I'll never forget that. In a few weeks, we're going to get front row seats again. This time, we're going to be in a garden, Garden of Gethsemane, and we're going to see Jesus who is, who is just, uh, he, he's, he's sweating be, so, because he is praying so intently and he is, he is sweating in such a way that it's like drops of blood. And I'm somewhat embarrassed to say we actually had front row seats for that and we fell asleep for a little bit. But it was still, looking back at it, pretty amazing. But instead of looking or considering those days, let me tell you about the front row seats that we had on this one spectacular day. I will tell you, the day did not start out necessarily the way that I wanted it to because Jesus woke up and he said, hey, you guys want to go for a hike? And, and to be honest, I'm not quite as in good a shape as the other three guys. Jesus and James and John, I know they're faster, they're better, they're more in shape than me. I'm a little older uh, than they are. And, and, and this, was not, this was a high mountain that we had to hike up. And so maybe some of you have experienced this where you're always, you're always the tail end of a hike. And so you're always looking at the people 20, 30 yards in front of you, and, and by the time, then they stop and they wait, and then you catch up to them. They say, okay, let's go. And say, wait, you've been waiting for me the whole time. Can't you just uh, let me take a little break here? Well, that was kind of my day, all right? And so I wasn't really thrilled about going on this mountain hike up this high, high mountain. And yet, let me tell you, the, the, views, the views were spectacular. And as the altitude got higher, so did our anticipation. Because we're looking around and say, hey, it's just the three of us. <laughs> the front row seat guys. I wonder what Jesus is going to do today. You know, is he going to show us another miracle like we've seen in the past? Or is he going to share with us some profound teaching that, you know, that he's just going to open our eyes? And we're, it's almost like one of those days where you just feel your faith tingling and you, you can almost feel it growing inside of you. What, what does Jesus have in store for us today? But I can tell you, what we saw that day was beyond the, anything that I could have ever imagined. Even if I could have pulled out a, a camera from my robe, it, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have done it justice. Even the words probably don't do it justice. I mean, we kind of kept this day to ourselves for a while because Jesus told us to, but months later we told one of our buddies, Matthew, uh, about what happened, and this is how he put it. He put it at the, this way in his word. He said, there he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. But like I said, I don't, I don't even think words can do it justice. You know, it was like I was looking at Jesus but I wasn't looking at Jesus. And maybe you've experienced that where you've seen, maybe it's been years before you, since you've seen someone 
and you know, 15, 20, 25 years, 50 years have gone by, and, and you, you run into them at a reunion or, or somewhere on the street, and you're like, what? That's you? And you know, and you, your eyes almost can't stop looking at them. Like, I don't believe it's you. Really? That's you? That, that's kind of what's going on here. But it's not like Jesus just got a new haircut or he's donning a new robe or, or he didn't just come back from a Botox injection and has less, less wrinkles or, or get a chin lift or anything like that. This is, this, is, you know, this is a Jesus who's like something I've never seen before. This was not sitting in the, sleeping in the back of the boat, Jesus. This was, not, this was not even walking on water, Jesus. This was just this magnificent this glorious, this, I don't even know how to describe it, Jesus. Maybe the best way that I can describe it is the way that the pastor described it to your, you know, the kids before, that caterpillar. You know how a caterpillar and, and, and a butterfly are the same creature, but they're, they're completely different. And I couldn't take my eyes off of it. But just then, as I'm staring at Jesus, all of a sudden there's two other guys standing there that nobody introduced us, but somehow we knew them. And I'll tell you, that's a little bit what heaven's like. You aren't going to need name tags in heaven because you're just going to know people. That's part of the joy. All right? But there they are. These are the goats. Huh? These are the greatest of all leaders, greatest of all time leaders, Moses. You maybe remember Moses. He's the guy who, who led our ancestors out of slavery in Egypt through that, through that path of dry ground in the Red Sea. He's also the guy that got to see God on the, on the Mount Sinai. And, and when he came down, the people were like, whoa, just put a veil over it, Moses. He was glowing so much. We couldn't even look at him. You know, now eventually that glow went away. But it's not just Moses there. There's also the, the prophet of prophets, Elijah. Elijah was one of two guys in the Old Testament that, that, that escaped death. He never physically died. As he was just whisked away by those chariots of fire, as he was walking along with his protege, Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah, I know that often gets confusing, but there he is. And now both of these guys are just standing there in front of us. And, and you know, and I'm kind of dumbfounded. If, if I would have been thinking, I, I, I probably would have said to John, hey, are we in heaven? You know, is this heaven? And we're just kind of starstruck standing there with mouths wide open, eyes, you know, just wide-eyed, can't even blink. And as I start to come to my senses a little bit, at least I'm, I'm looking what I'm seeing, and I don't know, maybe this has ever happened to you. If you've met someone famous, you just start babbling like an idiot. That's kind of what I did. You know, I'm like, well, I'm a little awkward silence here. That's kind of my reputation. I don't like awkward silence. And so I just start talking without thinking. And I say, oh, Jesus, I got a great idea. Jesus, how about we build three tents? And, you know, I'll build three tents. One for you and Moses and, and for Elijah. Wouldn't that be a great idea, Jesus? And, and, and I'm, you know, hindsight, I'm thinking, what an idiot. First of all, why do they need tents? Secondly, why would they want to stay here? Thirdly, where are James, John, and me going to sleep if, if we've got ten? So I am just a, a, a fool. I, nothing profound is coming out of my mouth when I'm saying these things. But then, something extremely profound is said not by me, but a cloud, a 
the cloud comes, and all of a sudden we hear this booming voice. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, I knew this Jesus was special. In fact, just a few days earlier, Jesus was talking to us when we were on the seashore of Caesarea Philippi, and he said, hey, who do you guys say that I am? And I I stood up, and I said, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he said, hey, way to go, Peter. In fact, that's when I got the nickname Peter, which means Nick Rocky, because God said, hey, I'm going to call you Rocky, because on that rock, on that confession that I am the son of the living God, that is what the church is built on. So I knew he was special. But this special? All of a sudden I realized this isn't just Rabbi Jesus. This isn't just friend Jesus. This isn't just son of the living God Jesus like I just confessed. This is, this is holy Jesus. And I know holy, maybe that's a word that we kind of throw around. We just kind of saying about it. You know, it it means more than just perfect without sin. That's what it means. But it also has this idea of of something that is set apart. It is holy, different. Or you think of a holiday as a holy day, a day that's set apart, like tomorrow's a holiday, a holy day. And, And I'll think, I would say that people of my generation, Peter's generation, we, we probably have a better grasp of holiness than you guys do in your culture. Because we talked about holiness all the time. Even the way that we worshipped. I mean, we would, we would often gather together for worship like in local synagogues. But if we ever went to the temple, I mean, that was set apart. That was holy. And then even, even the way the temple was set up, it wasn't a room like this. It was... It was you know, not everybody could just come on in. Not everybody could go in. It was set apart. And, and, and then even the, the first room was called the holy place to let us know this is something special. And then there was a second holy place. It was called the holy of holy place, the most holy place. Because that was set apart so much because there was a big box behind in that room. Uh, you maybe know it. It's the Ark of the Covenant. And it had these angels on top of it. And it was, it was meant to be a symbol of God's presence among us. But it was set apart so much that it had its own room dedicated to it. And it was, all that room was about from, from that door to about your kitchen there. But you couldn't just go into that room. That, that, that room had a huge curtain about, oh, about six times higher than the ceiling. Sixty feet high that curtain was that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And it went from wall to wall. But it wasn't just the height of that curtain or the width of that curtain. It was also the depth of that curtain, the thickness of that curtain that was so evident. It was, it was about as thick as a person's hand. So I, I never witnessed this myself, but they say when, when the Levites, the people who worked in the temple, had to move it, it took 300 guys to carry that curtain. I mean, if there's ever a visual aid to let you know that you are separated from God, that God is holy, that was, that was impressed upon us. And, and I'm not saying that 
you know, you have to have that. I'm not saying that, I don't ever want you to think that God is unapproachable, that he's so set apart from you. In fact, when Jesus died, that curtain split to let you know you have access to God. Nor do I want you to think that, oh, you have to change the way you set up church here. You know, I know some of the things that you guys have commented is that, oh, you like the nice welcoming feel. You can just come in and, you know, talk and talk and talk and talk until pastor says, okay, we got to start here, right? Uh, And so that's okay. That's okay. But I do wonder sometimes if there's a challenge for your culture or even for your congregation in this place with, with drop ceilings and fluorescent bulbs, that maybe once in a while you lose that reverence, right? that awe of the holiness of God. You know, there's a, there's a musician who writes songs. He's a contemporary songwriter for you guys. His name is Matt Redman, and, and he, he wrote this in one of his articles. He said, for worship to be worship." It must contain something of the otherness of God. Let that sink in. For worship to be worship, it must contain something of the otherness of God. When we think, when we consider the otherness, the holiness, the awesomeness of God, that really spurs two reactions inside of us, doesn't it? One, it just gets us to sit back and to consider, to marvel, to marvel at the magnificence of God and who he is. That's one reaction. A second reaction, though, is the flip side of that same coin. When I consider the awesomeness or the magnificence of God, that also means I consider the unmagnificence of me. That I'm not him. That he's holy. The otherness of God. And when we come to grips with that, that I'm not like God, God's not like me, You know, what does that usually cause? Well, you think of Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden. When they lost their holiness and the holy God paid them a visit, what did they do? They hid. They hid behind the trees. And that's what we wanted to do on that mountaintop, except there weren't any trees around. It was just rocky. So what did we do? We hit the dirt. We hit the dirt, trying to hide from God's holiness. But it's there. It's there when we were in the dirt that we fell face down, terrified that something else happened to. You see, we didn't stay in that dirt. I'm not in that dirt today. And you say, yeah, because you're in heaven, right? You're, you're, you're enjoying what, what Vicar talked about last week, about seeing God, right? Yeah, but I didn't stay in that dirt that day either. You know why? Because when we were there, trembling in the dirt, eating the dust, 
all of a sudden, we felt this little tap on our shoulders. And we heard someone say, get up. Don't be afraid. And it's then, it's then that I saw the most glorious thing that I had seen all day. I saw nothing or no one except Jesus. The glow from his face was gone. His clothes were no longer lightning white. His power, his majesty were hidden. But his love and his care and his compassion and his concern were not. In fact, you might say those things were glowing more than than they ever had before. Because now, now I had realized just what God had given up, what Jesus had given up for me. One moment he's having a conversation with the goats, with the greatest of all time leader and prophet, Moses and Elijah. And he gives it up to have a conversation with me in return. At one moment, he's getting a ringing endorsement from his heavenly father, knowing that in a few weeks, I'm going to deny even knowing him. Earlier that day, he walks up a high mountain with me so that in a few weeks, he can climb up another mountain for me where he would go to a cross. When you see that, when he, you see him do that for you, there is nothing more glorious. You know, because of G- Jesus was willing to do that, I could get up that day and not be afraid knowing that there was nothing more that would separate me from God. And that's my prayer for you, friends, that you might find yourself in a different situation every day of your life or from week to week that you gather here. Some days you might feel like you are on top of that mountain. You have just conquered the world or something in your life, right? The next day, you might feel like you're in the dirt. One day, you might be feeling like you've got a big mountain ahead of you that you have to climb, and you're huffing and you're puffing. The next day, you might feel like you're just rolling downhill. Whatever situation you're in, though, this is my prayer, that you see nothing except Jesus. That you see here a Jesus who was willing to give up everything for you. He gave up everything for you so that he could give everything to you. That's the message of transfiguration that he gave up his glory 
that one day you could be in his glory. And so as you walk through your life, as you see some challenge ahead of you or even the good times, it's my prayer that you see what I saw that day. Not the glow, not the brightening white clothes, but see no one except Jesus. And if you see Jesus, it doesn't matter what other things you don't see in your life. Because when you see Jesus, there's really nothing more to